Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace. We bring together prospects, editors and experts and push the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark and this week my colleague Samir Rahim spoke to the former US ambassador to Russia, Michael McFall, and his new book, From Cold War to Hot Peace, is reviewed in the new issue of our magazine. McFall saw Putin's rise to power and during the Obama years he worked on what has become known as the Reset, that attempt back then to bring Russia back in from the cold. It all seems an awfully long time ago now. What I didn't, what I don't think was inevitable was Putinism and Putin as the the only response to what happened in the 1990s. Uh, in fact, I think he was an accidental president. He was picked out of oblivion. You know, nobody knew who he was when he was named prime minister in 1999. Uh, Yeltsin, he picked Putin, not the people of Russia. So how can we deal with Putin? What does he want? And should England's football fans be about to go to the World Cup in Russia? We go now to my colleague, Samir Rahim. Michael McFall, welcome to uh, Prospect magazine. Thanks for having me. Um, earlier this year, there was a, a chemical attack on British soil that the Prime Minister Theresa May um, blamed on the uh, Russian authorities for carrying out. And my first question to you is, why would Putin do something so brazen on British soil? And how did he think he could get away with it? I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I, uh, lots of mystery uh, concerning this case to me, knowing how Putin operates. Uh, one, I wonder uh, maybe uh, were some other forces at play who are close to Putin that want to trap Putin in to isolate him from the West. I, I don't know the details, and I think the, the investigation needs to continue. Uh, but it does fit a pattern of behavior around the world and against uh, people that he considers to be his enemies. Uh, he takes that very seriously. I've seen him do it with other people, and, and when they consider you a traitor, to their system, especially uh, in the intelligence community there, uh, that's a very serious crime in their eyes. Um, if I just take you back a little bit, you write in the book about how the situation and relations with Russia were quite different around 2009, 2010, the yes. reset. We remember Hillary Clinton, Sergei Lavrov resetting relations. And of course, as, as you say in the book, you were quite an important part of that. Right. What, what was the hopes? What was the hopes that you had at the time for better relations between Russia and the West? Well, the hope, and I would call it a strategy, not a hope, uh, the strategy was engage with the Kremlin on issues of mutual interest 
that we think advance American uh, security interests and economic interests and even our interests in, in advancing universal values. Um, and to look for what President Obama called win-win outcomes in dealing with Russia without checking our values at the door and without throwing other countries and other bilateral relations under the bus in order to achieve a better relationship with the Kremlin. That was the strategy. And I think for a time, for several years, it worked. Uh, we got a lot done. Uh, we got a new START treaty, reducing by 30% the number of nuclear weapons in the United States and Russia. We got the most comprehensive sanctions on Iran ever that then produced a nuclear arm agreement, uh, a nuclear agreement with Iran that I think was good for Iran, good for the United States, good for the world. Uh, we opened up trade uh, uh, supply routes, excuse me, through Russia and Central Asia into Afghanistan to help our war effort there and reduce our dependency on Pakistan so that we could go after Osama bin Laden, as we did in 2011. And we got Russia into the World Trade Organization, which we thought was better than them being on the outside. And, and many other issues. I won't, I won't go through the whole list, but, but they were the point is these are not just holding hands and singing kumbaya and saying we're having a better relationship. That was never the goal of the reset. These are concrete things with nuclear weapons, Iran, Afghanistan, uh, international trade. These are you know core American security interests and economic interests. And back then, we had a cooperative partner in the Kremlin with President Medvedev, who also saw, I think, all of those things as win-win uh, for Russia, because otherwise, why would he have agreed to them? But things started to go wrong quite quickly, didn't they? And that, is that related to the fact that Putin then came back to become president? It is. By the way, you're just reminding me, one of the other things we did in 2010 was a swap of spies that we had in America, one of which was Mr. Skripal. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was during that period of cooperation that we agreed to handle it that way rather than in a major confrontational way that we have seen in other more confrontational times in our history. But yeah, I do think two things came together that changed the relationship. One was Putin announced that he was going to come back to the Kremlin and run for president, as he did, and then won in March of 2012. And over time, we learned that he had a different worldview than President Medvedev. Uh, he saw things in much more zero-sum terms and, and saw the United States as a competitor, not a partner. And the second thing that happened at the same, almost the same time was there was a parliamentary election in Russia, December 2011, uh, falsified at kind of normal rates, by the way. That's the way we evaluate it. No big deal. Five or six percent. That's a normal Russian election. But this time around, some Russians thought it, it wasn't normal to steal elections like that. And with their smartphones and Facebook and Vukontakte and Twitter, they exposed this falsification and then mobilized people on the streets to protest against it. And it was that mobilization against the regime that eventually led to slogans like Russia without Putin that uh, first made Putin angry. I, I remember it well. He was angry at these people. Uh, but then he blamed us for fomenting this opposition to him, for fomenting revolution. He blamed America, Obama, and eventually, when I arrived as ambassador in January 2012, he blamed me for that. We'll come to your time as ambassador in just a second. But of course, you'd had met Putin uh, beforehand in yes, 1991. I did. And what assessment did you did you make of him? Did he seem the same person when you met him later? Had he changed in that in that time? Well, when I first met him, he made no impression at all. Uh, and it, had you asked me in 1991. 
you know, name the top 500 people that might be the next president of Russia, I would not have named Vladimir Putin. Uh, he was working for a very charismatic pro-Western Democrat at the time, Anatoly Subchak. The fact that he was working for him was somewhat um, interesting in the, that he seemed to be loyal to Subchak, but he also came from the KGB, and that seemed like a bit of a contradiction. Um, it was only you know over time that we learned uh, what his worldview was. And I would say, as I say in the book, it evolved over time. He wasn't set in his ways back 20 years ago. The, the, the more anti-Western views, the more anti-democratic views I think he had for a long time, but anti-market views, I think those are new features of Putin in the year 2018. So you became the U.S. ambassador to Russia in 2012, and you write in the book about how you were looking forward to this. Um, You know, you've been a Russophile for many years, great appreciation of the country and its language. But as soon as you got there, there started to be lurid attacks on you and on television. You know, your family and staff were attacked. Did you expect such hostility? Honestly, no, I didn't. Um, I was Mr. Reset, after all, right? Uh, I wasn't Mr. Revolutionary. Um, I mean, I understand it now, but uh, uh, at that, it happened so quickly. I mean, the first hit piece on me on national television in Russia was even before I had my first day in the at the office. I hadn't even shown up. It was a long weekend for Americans. It was Martin Luther King uh, weekend. I remember it well, and it had already started. And it was explained to me by people in the Kremlin. People, you know, I've known these people for a long time, some of them. And they were like, they just said, look, this is a campaign. Don't take it personally. Uh, we need to rally the base. And, and being anti-American is an easy way to do that. Uh, even President Medvedev, when I presented my credentials to him, took me aside and said, you know, lay low. Things will get back to normal after this election is over. But it didn't. Uh, it would come and go. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, this, the message was consistent, is that we were the enemy. And we were seeking to undermine uh, Putin's regime. Uh, Whether he believed that or not, to this day, I kind of wonder. I came to Moscow as ambassador thinking it was just instrumental. Uh, I left Moscow thinking, no, it's more than that. He's truly paranoid about the West and the United States in particular. It's interesting, that shift in perspective you talk about, because um, there's one meeting you say when Putin directly attacks you. Yes. And just quote from the book, you said... His attack on me that day was strangely emotional and out of character for a leader whom I always had considered smart, rational, and strategic. Yeah. This idea of Putin as somebody who just knows everything that's going on. Do you think that maybe we overestimated his uh, rationality? Yes. At least I did. I don't want to speak for everybody, but uh, I thought it was irrational to worry about regime change in 2012. That was crazy to me. I said that to people. Like, there's no threat to your regime here. Just run a free and fair election. Um, and if Putin is so popular, why does he seem so paranoid about just the slightest bit of opposition or, or criticism? That, that doesn't seem rational to me. Uh, the things he does today uh, against opposition figures, against uh, people that criticize his regime, is not consistent with somebody who is rational and confident in the legitimacy of his presidency. So is there an opening there in dealing with Putin and with Russia. Is there a way that we can um, gain leverage over him in some way if we can, you know, if we recognize his weaknesses? 
Yeah, that's a good question. That's a hard question. Uh, I don't have an easy answer to it because on the one hand, um, I'm tempted by those that say, let's expose his weaknesses. Let's publish all of his money and, and uh, you know, that he has allegedly all over the world and that will make him weaker. On the other hand, um, when you do things like that to him, he pushes back and it, it makes him all the more convinced that you're out to get him. So I think it's a, it's a complicated task. My general view is that the West and the United States, I, I know my country better than all of, I don't want to speak for all of the West, but uh, uh, in terms of our policy is that we do need to push back on his uh, uh, behavior abroad when it is malicious, things like annexation we thought we had gotten rid of in World War II, uh, but in 2014, uh, Russia annexed Crimea. Let me be more precise, Putin annexed Crimea. Uh, and you have to push back on that because if you don't, there'll be more cases like that. Um, and at the same time, when it is possible, and I think it's only possible in limited realms, but you should seek to cooperate with uh, Putin when it's in America's national interest. And and I would say that for any other country in the world. And do we also, stepping back a bit, have to try and look at things from Russia's perspective as well? Um so, you know, in the 1990s was a chaotic and difficult time, as you well know. Um, and, you know, you write in the book that um, it was perhaps almost inevitable that um, a strongman leader w- would arise. There are reasons why Putin exerts a particular appeal. Yes. There? Yes. Although I would caveat it a bit. Um, uh, I always believed there would be the Thermidor after the revolution, right? As there had been in other great revolutions and that... Uh, longing for stability uh, was coming. Uh, I worried about that going all the way back to 1990. That was the first piece I wrote about that uh, happening. What I didn't, what I don't think was inevitable was Putinism and Putin as the the only response to what happened in the 1990s. Uh, in fact, I think he was an accidental president. He was picked out of oblivion. You know, nobody knew who he was when he was named prime minister in 1999. Four months later, he was acting president, and a few months after that, he won his first election. Uh, Yeltsin, Boris Yeltsin, the former president of Russia, he picked Putin, not the people of Russia. Uh, it was only over time after that uh, moment when we saw the full content of how Putin defines uh, Russia as a as a powerful country in the world. And my view is, why can't Russia be a powerful, respected country in the world, but also be democratic? Uh, I don't see a contradiction in that. Um, obviously, there Putin does. But I want to remind you, there were other figures back in the 90s that would have said exactly the same thing as I did. In fact, one of them, Boris Nemtsov, was the heir apparent. Uh, He was the one that Yeltsin had chosen to succeed him. And had there not been a financial crash in Russia and the world in August 1998, uh, I believe that Nemtsov would have been the chosen one. And I think the trajectory of Russian history and Russia's relationship with the West would have been very different had he been chosen in 2000 to become the next president. Another area where Putin has seemed to as it were, outfox the West is on Syria, yes. and you were um, you were there in 2013 when yeah. we had the famous uh, chemical attack. Right, uh, Assad, um, Obama had his red line; he didn't enforce it, and it still seems puzzling. Uh, looking back now, um, why he didn't do that? Was it because he was worried that of the Russian reaction? 
Well, you know, the, the, my chapter on Syria is the longest chapter in the book because it's so tortured. And I think of all of the things that, that I was a part of, um, uh, we made some of the biggest mistakes with respect to Syria, going all the way back to 2011, right? And I won't rehearse all of those mistakes right now, but to your point about chemical weapons and the red line, uh, I was one of those in the Obama administration that thought we should use force, irrespective of whether the Congress supported us. Uh, by the way, the vote here in Britain was not useful yeah, <laughs> right before yeah, that, uh, yeah. and that had a big impact on President Obama's thinking. Um, but I lost that debate. Um, but another reason why we did not move forward with that is because in September 2013, uh, President Obama came to St. Petersburg. I was there with him. Uh, he met with Obama. Uh, he met with Putin, excuse me. And Putin offered a way out. He said, let's remove all the chemical weapons from Syria. Um, and when Obama was offered that path versus the uncertain path of using you know, um, bombing Syria, which probably would have only been symbolic. Uh, he chose that, f that first option. Uh, tragically, of course, we now know that not all chemical weapons were removed, but in September, 2013, you know, sitting in St. Petersburg, that seemed like a very attractive offer, um, you know, given the alternative. And of course, earlier this year, we saw President Trump undertake after another chemical attack, uh, it's the kind of symbolic attack that you right. have just described. And I wonder whether his relations with Russia have just meant that we're in a period of sort of instability where things could go either way. It's a great question, and I don't know how to answer it yet. Um, I, I, you know, the way I see the current administration, uh, they actually have two policies towards Russia. The Trump administration has one policy. That looks a lot like the Obama policy, by the way. Uh, sanctions uh, to punish them for activity in Ukraine. Um, sanctions about uh, intervening in our election in 2016. Um, shoring up NATO, supporting Ukraine. Those are all things that started in 2014-15 that they've continued. And in some instances, they've even gone further, uh, providing uh, defensive weapons to the Ukrainians, for instance. But then you have the president. Uh, and the president seems to have his own policy and his own way of thinking. Uh, by the way, he does that on a lot of issues uh, with respect to the world and America, uh, where at times I don't think it, he sounds like he doesn't support his own policy. And what he would rather do is sit down with uh, with Vladimir Putin, just like we're doing right now, and and try to get along with him. And he thinks that through his power of persuasion, he could work with Putin in a way that, that would advance America's interests. Um, and w we haven't tested that proposition yet, but that, that's kind of his theory, which is at odds with the rest of his administration. Are you optimistic in any way that he could do that? No, I'm not. I think he's naive about it. Uh, number one, good relations with any country, uh, let alone Russia, should never be the goal of American foreign policy. The goal should be something concrete. Uh, getting rid of uh, Iran's nuclear weapons program, uh, reducing the number of nuclear weapons in the world. Um, you know, the, the list we just described. And then the strategy is adopted in order to achieve that goal. And sometimes the strategy is engagement with the president. Other times it's containment of Russian behavior abroad. And I think the president, President Trump, has that mixed up in his head. I think he thinks good relations is somehow the goal. And I think the price to pay for that would, would adversely affect American national interests. 
So in March earlier this year, uh, President Putin was re-elected for another term, uh, another six years, I believe. Yes. Do you think that when it comes to those end of the end of those six years, that he'll uh, sail off into the sunset and retire with however much money he has in his bank account, <laughs> or do you think that um, uh, he may continue to be leader in some form or some form or another? Well, I don't know. Six years is a long time, even in Russia. Um, I think it's curious that he's since gone on the record to say he's not going to run again. So he's he's putting a marker down there. Um, but I think it'll be very difficult for him to step down, uh, in part because it's not obvious who replaces him. Um, I think there'll be tremendous uncertainty about that. Uh, there's no political party around him uh, that has any real weight, and so there's not a natural succession process. And number two, uh, there's been a lot of people enriched by the Putin years that are close friends of Putin. Some of them become extremely rich. They become billionaires solely because they're friends with Vladimir Putin. They've been handed property and handed um, um, economic you know, benefits because of that relationship. Um, if he steps down, what happens to those people? Who protects their property rights? The, the, the rule of law doesn't exist. The courts will not do that. And so that set of interest groups, right, that group around him, uh, more so than even Putin, I think has an interest in him continuing to stay in power. Obviously, we've got the World Cup coming up this summer in Russia. Yes, congratulations that you'll be there because we're not. Yes, yes, <laughs> the U.S. hasn't qualified, so it doesn't apply to them. But um, there's thought of it; it may be sort of a propaganda coup. And um, we've already said that we're not we're not sending members of the royal family there. So I that will that, that yes. will really teach teach the Russians. But we're not we're not boycotting. We're not we're not right. doing anything. Do you think there's a case for uh, for countries to to not go to the World Cup? You know, my view is let the athletes go and let the diplomats stay at home. Uh, I, I think, uh, and I, I think even generally we've let, let our sporting events become too political. So, you know, I was at the Sochi Olympics. I was part of the official American delegation uh, sitting several rows down from Putin because we did not have the proper, you know, we didn't have Barack Obama as the leader of our uh, delegation. So we were pretty far away. But as I sat there and I looked at all the other world leaders that had come for the opening ceremonies, I thought, why are we all gathered here? Like, th what? this is not a diplomatic event. This is a sporting event. Um, and so, you know, my preference would be leave the political piece out of it and, and just let the athletes play. Michael McFall, thank you. Thanks for having me. Michael McFall there, the former US ambassador to Russia, talking to my colleague Samir Rahim. So that's it for this week. I'm Tom Clark. The producer was Jay Elwes. And to read more on the troubled relations between Russia and the West and to read the review of McFall's books and a whole crop of others by Russia expert Oliver Buller, visit our website www.prospectmagazine.co.uk. And while you're there, I'm sure you'll notice that our subscription rates are splendidly reasonable. Please be sure to tune in again soon to the Prospect Podcast.